going. Um, uh, so, and tonight we come to the first, uh, first story of an actual hero and leader that God raised up. Uh, from the last couple weeks, the introduction, the first couple chapters uh, in the book of Judges gives us more of the, the theme, kind of introduces, it sets the, the broad picture for what you're going to see in Judges, and then we'll, uh, we'll read actually the first three of those Judges tonight. So if you have your Bibles, look in uh, Judges chapter 3. We'll read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, but we'll mainly focus on verse uh, 12 to verse 30. And if you, uh, if you have the announcement sheets, if you don't have a Bible, uh, they're on the back of the passages on the back side of that announcement sheet. Judges, the book of Judges takes place as God has uh, promised to his people, having made a, a promise of salvation to Abraham, then from his descendants brought them as a nation to himself and promised to bring them into the promised land. And under Joshua, we've seen him do that, but in Judges, they're to be taking possession of the land. And we see in the first few chapters uh, how much they fail at that, and that God will use the surrounding nations as enemies uh, uh, against them, and there's a cycle of God's uh, delivering them. And we'll, uh, we'll hear that tonight. Three judges that we're going to read the stories of, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. Uh, You've got to love Shamgar, like one verse. It's, <laughs> it's kind of fun. We mentioned him before. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of... Uh, framework for as we're reading it, right? Othniel, you're just, you're not really going to hear a lot of what's going on, but what it's doing is kind of giving you the model that you're going to hear in each story later. Each story of every judge, every hero and leader that the book brings up in some way follows uh, what you see happen with Othniel. The people are disobedient, they call out, God raises a deliverer who delivers them, the land has rest, and then they go back to their sin again, right? The cycle through Judges. Uh, Ehud, we get to the first, like, really odd and awkward story in the book of Judges. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully you'll detect a lot of the, uh, the mockery, the sarcasm, how uh, it's being described. And, uh, and then Shamgar, the, uh, the one verse there. So, uh, so listen, listen with me uh, to God's word in Judges chapter 3, verse 7. Then the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he, sh- and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. Uh, this is kind of fun. Cushan Rishathayim means doubly wicked. <coughs> um, so in this case, it's kind of like a you know, name for how bad he was or whatever. So we'll read it that way. Uh, <coughs> sold them into the hand of Cushan the doubly wicked, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan the doubly wicked eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan the doubly wicked, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan the doubly wicked. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. We'll spend most of our time with Ehud there in this next part. Then the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, other enemies of God's people, and went and defeated Israel. They took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. 
Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. It's an odd thing to say, but it's actually important to the story that he's a, he's a left-handed man. Uh, <coughs> I'll stay with it. It's pretty fun. Um, then the people of Israel sent tribute uh, by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, about 18 inches in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. You've got to get the mockery here. <laughs> and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret for you, O king. And he, the king, commanded silence. All his attendants went out from his presence. Then Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. <laughs> it's nasty. Um, for he did not pull the sword out of his body, and then the dung came out. <coughs> mm. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Odd stories and judges, I'm telling you. It's <laughs> like junior high or something. Uh, <coughs> then Ehud went out into the porch. Uh, we'll come back to this later. He went out into the, the, the porch, we'll say, uh, and closed the do doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. Apparently they smelled something. <coughs> and they waited uh, till they were embarrassed. But when he did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. The then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. He said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. I love this part. After him was Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Uh, this is the word of the Lord, his holy and infallible uh, truth uh, that's beneficial uh, for us. And because we won't come back to Shamgar, uh, the ox goad is like some kind of long stick that you'd like prod cattle with to, to stay around. I don't know how he killed the Philistines with it, but... <clears throat> But that's what we have there. Do you catch the, a lot of the mockery in the story? Uh, maybe it's not ex what we expect a lot of times when we're coming from Scripture, uh, but it's very much, hopefully we'll see a little bit, even more so uh, than what we realized on the first reading, how it's, how it's presented. Um, but would you pray with me that God would, uh, would use <coughs> this as holy, inspired, infallible, and <coughs> odd and awkward at times word uh, for our benefit? Let's pray. <coughs> 
Oh, Lord God, uh, we thank you that you give us these stories from the Bible and that the Bible tells us that these are, are your very words, that they have come from, from you, uh, that they do not return to you void, but accomplish everything that you desire them to accomplish. And they are even uh, profitable and able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we pray according to your word that you would make that true uh, tonight. Lord, we pray that uh, we would put that to the test, that we would put your word to the test, and that you uh, would prove it real. Uh, Lord, we come to you uh, <coughs> with doubts and struggles. Uh, we come to you in our sin, knowing that we've done wrong. Uh, we come to you with pride in what we think is our obedience, as if that causes you to accept us. We come with <coughs> uh, doubts over whether the things that your word says are real, whether you are true and right. Lord, uh, we pray uh, that by your power you would make known to us your grace, uh, your mercy that doesn't treat us <coughs> according to all our disobedience, or make us earn favor for you, from you, but that loves us uh, abundantly in Jesus, that you would show us uh, the fullness of your love and encourage us with joy tonight by the power of your Spirit, uh, guiding my words, guiding our hearts, and transforming us for your sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> you know, we all have uh, Stephen Rang. <coughs> we all have Stephen Rang. <coughs> Let's say hi to Stephen. <coughs> um, all of us have, uh, have family stories, right, that you kind of heard over and over growing up. Well, it's a story about you or a story of other members of your family. Um, <coughs> well, I remember my grandmother used to always tell a story about my dad when he was a little boy. Um, tell a story about him on Christmas morning. He and his sister every year when they were younger, would, would get up, you know, with all that excitement of a, of a young child to open presents, and they would, you know, run to where the presents were and begin, you know, tear off the wrapping paper and see what they got, and then go to the next one and, you know, present after present and, you know, excitement of joy and playing with them and going back and opening more presents. But she would say, every time, uh, every year after they'd opened all the presents, my dad would turn back around and look at her and say, is that all? And she said it would just cut her to the core every year. You know, here's all these things that he's gotten, and she's seen this joy in his face. But then he says, is that all? Um, now, he wasn't saying with a, with a discontent. He was happy with the things that he'd gotten. But, but, you know, he couldn't help wondering, maybe there's, are there any more presents? If so, I certainly don't want to miss them, you know. But every year it would hurt her to hear him say, is this all? But uh, you're wondering if there's something more. I think that helps us kind of view really the, the point of this passage that we're looking at. And even in some senses, uh, the whole of the book of Judges, that question, is this all? It doesn't necessarily imply that what's happened isn't wonderful or great or even sometimes amazing, uh, the way God's delivered his people. But there's, there's some sense in which we read it and we go, is that all? Isn't there something more that we're looking for? something better. We see these amazing heroic deliverances, but we, we, we still have a longing. And it's not really distinctive to, to this passage. You certainly see it here with Ehud, uh, but you see it in, in every story, every hero and leader that's raised up in the book of, of Judges. Um, it's been fascinating to me, I think even outside the book of Judges, the heroes and leaders that we look up to, um, 
It's been fascinating to me to watch uh, some of the events around the, the inauguration. Um, it's been really fun. How many of y'all got to watch the, the inauguration, Barack Obama as the new president? You can cheer, you can boo, but, but it's happened. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing. Um, anybody get to watch it on campus with like a bunch of other students? Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went down to the club down under. It's fascinating even to watch people's uh, reactions to it. Whether, whether you love Barack Obama, whether you voted for him or you didn't, whether you like him or not, um, he is the new president. But it's really fun to, to be able to watch how much enthusiasm there is. Um, what a celebration that there's been for so much of our country in ways that are, that, that are great um, and how much hope people have around it. Um, the other side of the coin is it's interesting to watch uh, it's been interesting to watch Bush on his way out, and now as he is out. <coughs> in fact, next to me uh, in Club Down Under, as soon as Barack Obama was sworn in, the guy next to me is like, isn't that awesome? Bush is no longer president. <laughs> like, that's what he's excited about. Um, but I remember eight years ago when uh, George W. Bush was sworn in as president, and there was a lot of excitement uh, then, enthusiasm, maybe of a different degree and, and, and a different type, uh, certainly in some ways, <coughs> but there was an excitement there. And I think it's difficult for, uh, for, Bush, for people who had supported Bush at the end to, to not be asking the question, is that all? We've, you know, was that, is that all that you were able to do? Maybe great things in some ways that he did, and maybe you'd say the opposite of that, but, <coughs> but, but is that all? Is there more that we look for? And I expect in a similar way, uh, it, it, with the Obama presidency, when it comes to uh, its end, there'll be the same question. Now, I'm not even implying necessarily that, that he won't be able to accomplish uh, so many of the goals that he set forth, many of them that would be great for our country. Um, but so much of our hopes we've placed in him uh, for ourselves, for our country, even in some senses for the world, that, that even if he accomplishes all of his program, all the goals that he set out to do, that's great, we'll be thrilled and excited, and at the end of his presidency we'll go, is that, is that all? Is there, isn't there something more that I was longing for, some happiness or fulfillment that I thought he was going to bring um, that's not here yet? You know, in, in literature even, when we look at the heroes uh, that are presented, right, every, every hero kind of tends to have their tragic flaw, right, that makes for the plot of the actual uh, narrative, makes it interesting. All our heroes have weaknesses or make mis mistakes. Whoever, you know, whoever your heroes are, whoever the people that are your role models, the people you look up to, people you follow, um, you can recognize in some ways that you're looking for more than they can offer. The question is, isn't there something more? Or the question is, is that really all? And I want you to ask that question as we move uh, further into the text. Think, ask that question of Scripture and see how Scripture is answering it. How this particular passage even brings out that question for us. Of this, this is really all. So first of all, I want to kind of retell the story of Ehud that we would see all that God did, all that God accomplished through Ehud and have the excitement about that. Retell the story of Ehud the left-hander and his defeat of the fat cow Eglon. We'll get to that in a second. <clears throat> I want you to be able to hear and kind of put yourself in the perspective of the Israelites. Enter into that story so you can feel their excitement at what God has done for them. 
um, for you to, in a sense, hear again the story of their victory another time, because you've just heard it. But it's, for the Israelites, this would have been a story that they were familiar with and that they loved to hear again. Tell us the story of, how, of the victory God gave us. <coughs> I've got two little girls, uh, four and two, and you know, we could sit down and read a book, and then we could read the same book again, and we could read the same book again, and they would be enjoying it every time, right? It becomes more enjoyable because they know what's going to happen. It's sort of the same way uh, with, this, uh, with this story. Um, so I want to kind of retell it uh, and for us to enter into it, but let me, let me mention a few things maybe that will help us uh, relate to it or get it a little bit better. You know, the enemy here that it's talking about is the Moabites, right? Eglon, king of Moab. So when you hear them talk about the, Moab, the, the Moabites, you need to pretty much have in your mind the category gator, right? <laughs> like horrible, bad people, um, our enemies, people that we hate legitimately, right? Um, at least in a, or, or hopefully only in a sports rivalry kind of way, uh, much more serious here for, uh, uh, for them. But, uh, uh, but did you think of them in that category, right? If you're, if you're flipping through the channels and there's like a rerun of a football game and it's FSU playing UF, you're going to stop and you're going to pay attention for a little bit, right? And you're going to be like, wait, what year was this? <laughs> and the question you want to know is who ends up winning this game. And you don't want to watch it if you don't know that FSU is going to win. But if you, get to, if you know it's the year when FSU took it to the Gators, uh, then you're going to sit there and enjoy it for a little while, right? And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they might be up right now, but I know what's going to happen. <laughs> you're like, oh, I love when they put this hit on this guy, right? And you're like, you're waiting for it. <laughs> uh, that's the way the Israelites are listening to this narrative, right? So Moabites, Gators, right? We're, we want to see them go down. Um, the, uh, um, also, you want to realize that the story, we kind of said a lot of sarcasm, uh, a lot of, it's really, it's a mockery. Um, the Bible is making fun of the Moabites. Um, that's what it's doing. It's making fun of Eglon quite intentionally and over the top, uh, making fun derogatory of it. I don't know. Do we have, like, for Tim Tebow, do we have any, like, derog derogatory names? <laughs> Tim George Tebow or something? <laughs> um, right, you know, like, but that, that's the kind of thing that, we're, that they're doing for Eglon. <laughs> Uh, it's possible that Eglon was his real name, uh, but, more, but it's definitely used as kind of a mockery for him. It's a, it's a word that's related to their word for, uh, for bull or calf, and it's kind of a diminutive form of it. So he's like, he, nothing about Eglon is diminutive, but <laughs> he's not the full size of a cow, right? Um, and it talks about him being a very fat man. We're thinking like rolls and rolls of fat, right? The, the kind of large and in charge uh, kind of guy. Um, he's, he's, uh, you're not seeing him walking around. He's not moving a whole lot. Um, <coughs> the big 500, 600 pound maybe guy that I'm thinking of. Um, <coughs> and it, it's mocking him as it brings out this part of the story. Uh, so every time it's kind of saying, fat cow, king of Moab, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's the attitude here. Um, and as the story's told, there's lots of Lots of foreshadowing, right? Where we kind of, we know it's about to happen. We know God's enemies are going down, uh, but the Moabites don't know yet. Eglon doesn't know what's coming. Kind of anticipate the victory. Um, so, uh, so to try to re-enter the story, then God's people are in a hard place. A difficult place where they've been oppressed uh, by their enemies, enslaved by them, because they've turned away from God. Because they looked to other idols instead of God, God has punished them and used the Moabites to punish them. 
for 18 years. That's like most of your life, all of your life for some of you. For 18 years, they've been uh, enslaved, in a sense, to this uh, foreign evil king. And then God remains faithful to his covenant promise of salvation. Even though his people are continuing in disobedience, uh, God decides to raise up for them a savior, someone who will deliver them from this punishment even that he's given them, to raise up uh, a hero and a leader, Ehud, the left-hander, right? Like, oh, yeah, the left-hander. We know what he's going to do. Kind of a fun fact in there because it's really just even more awkward in the text. Uh, He's Ehud, son of Gera, a Benjaminite, and Benjaminite means uh, son of the right hand, like son of the power, son of the right hand. So he's like the son of the right hand who's left-handed, Right? It's emphasizing just how much it's unexpected uh, that he's left-handed. And maybe we could go on about it, but there's a couple different ways. <coughs> so then we have them uh, uh, delivering the tribute, right? As they've done for 18 years so far, they're paying their taxes. Uh, and Ehud this year is in charge of bringing their, their tribute, their taxes, uh, before this foreign king. Uh, their grains and the things that they've grown not to deliver it to the fat cow, king of Moab, right? (laughs) As Tom Ehud takes it. Um, But he also takes something else. He's got a specially crafted dagger, uh, about 18 inches, that he's hidden on the inside of his clothes that is going along with it. Everything seems to go perfectly normal, like it's gone all the 18 other years. The tribute's brought, it's presented, and then everyone begins to leave. And Ehud's leaving with them. And then at a certain point, he sends the rest of the convoy on, and at the idols of Gilgal, he turns back. And it, it seems to be that this is kind of part of his plot, part of his guise, right, that he's turning around at these idols, because he goes on to say to the king that he has a message from God for him, right? So kind of the idea is, there he was at the idols, and he was told to go back with a message for the king. At least that's maybe the way that, that Eglon is hearing it, though we know from an Israelite perspective, uh, the true God uh, is sending a message of judgment against him to this idolatrous uh, king, as it were. <coughs> so Ehud goes back to Eglon, and you hear what he says, right? And you catch the, the irony of it. Eglon, I have, a, I have a secret for you. It's hidden right here under my leg, right? I've got a secret only for you. <laughs> And, and Eglon takes the bait, right? Uh, you know, he sends everyone else out, so it's just uh, he and Ehud uh, in the upper chamber. Now, yeah, yeah, if you're, if you're reading this like an Israelite, right, this is the point where you're like, oh, it's about to get good. He's going down, right? You, you know the sack when the quarterback's coming, right, to get back to his, right, he, He's going down. This is, this is where it happens. Uh, he's, he's taking the bait, uh, as it were. Um, so um, where we are... Uh, takes the bait. Um, they're alone, Ehud and Eglon, and he says again, I have a divine message for you, right? Uh, we know of God's judgment. And Eglon rises as if it's to hear. You can imagine the fat guy trying to you know, get up and come over to hear this, what's this secret message for the God, for, from the gods. And then the text kind of moves you almost in slow motion, right? And Ehud reaches down with his left hand and pulls out the dagger from his right thigh and stabs it into the fat cow, right? And it goes in. Apparently there's no hilt on this dagger. 
um, so he doesn't get it back. The dagger goes in, and the rolls of fat kind of envelop it, and, the, and it goes all the way in to the point where as the ESV so nicely uh, puts it, right? His, his bowels are spilled. The, the dung came out. I mean, it really is almost like a junior high. Like, I feel bad saying it, right? Like, but this is, this is the Bible, right? Giving it, giving it out to you. The dung comes out of this guy. It's, it's very mocking of him. Um, and uh, pierces his gut. Um, you could say he's no longer constipated. And, and Ehud... Um, and, and Ehud uh, plans his escape. And this is a little bit difficult to follow in the text, but, uh, and some of the words are hard. But what happens is he locks the door right away, right? He's inside alone in this room with Ehud, and he makes sure the door's locked so he's not going to get caught. And then he finds a way out. Now, the ESV kind of says porch, and then it's got this note that says, we actually don't know what that word means. <laughs> so here's at least one of the theories, and I really like this theory. I think it's good. I think it's a legitimate theory as well. Uh, here's one of the theories of how he gets out. One of the things you know about this room, throne room as it might be or something, is that there is a, uh, there's a, a toilet of some sort in this room, right? The, uh, later his guards are assuming that he's relieving himself in there. Um, if this is the place that, that he would go, it's not just that. And they, and they know from some archaeological things that there would be toilets of sorts, they'd really just be more of kind of a pipe that would carry the excrement and all out, right? You don't really have, you know, running water or uh, indoor plumbing, so to speak. But, um, but it seems that Ehud actually locked the door and escaped uh, down the drain, uh, down the sewer, um, out to then be able to, uh, to, to, to escape, right? And meanwhile, the guards are out there kind of waiting and they assume the king must be relieving himself, right? Um, and they're kind of not sure what to do with this. Apparently, apparently Eglon's a fat guy, and he takes a long time in the bathroom, right? Um, that's what the story's bringing out. So they wait until, like, they're like, dude, something's got to be wrong here. Um, and they go, and they get the key, the key open up the door, and <coughs> there's their king, the fat cow, slaughtered, uh, dead, lying in his own blood and feces. Right, that's, the, that's the picture of it. Uh, and Ehud's been running this whole time. Some of you girls, your face is like, this is disgusting. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> um, and and Ehud, Ehud's kept running the whole time. That's given him time to get all the way past the borders of Moab, back to his own people. He, he blows the horn, calls together all the troops on the hill country of Ephraim, and all, all Israel comes down uh, to the fords above Moab where they'd be uh, traveling back and forth. And, 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 and battles their army and defeats them. Not a man was left. 10,000, it says. All the, all the men are there. And Moab was subdued under the hand of Israel. He calls out, uh, Go forward, for the Lord has delivered them uh, into our hand. It says then, in their victory, the land had rest uh, for 80 years. Oppressed for 18 years, uh, but 80 years then, uh, that God gave uh, his people rest, uh, peace. Uh, through the heroic Ehud, um, it's an impressive story, right? If you're if you're following, it's a weird, awkward story as well, right? Uh, but but it's an impressive story to hear, uh, and you, you get the point, you get the excitement that the Israelites would have. Here is God's salvation. Here's God's salvation, even of an unfaithful people. His power uh, to defeat stronger enemies, uh, even through very unusual means, and make a mockery of them. 
how he can destroy the great powers and laugh at them through his power and salvation. You're impressed in some ways with, with Ehud, his heroic uh, cunning, um, the hero leader that God used. But then still you read the story and you're going, as we're looking for a hero and leader, like, is that all? Isn't, isn't there something more that we're kind of desiring and hoping to see that, that God would do? What, what are we supposed to, to take from this, right? <clears throat> We've seen all that God did uh, through Ehud, and wants to move to the second point to say, that's all that God did through Ehud. And we're left longing for certain more. There's a certain level of, of disappointment uh, <clears throat> that I think we recognize, a certain level of dis- dissatisfaction. I don't think it's <clears throat> hard for, me to, for you to see that, right? You can kind of begin to recognize. We're amazed that all God accomplished through Ehud, a very powerful salvation, getting rid of his enemies. Uh, but Ehud kind of falls, shall we say, slightly short of everything that we hope for from a leader, right? If you heard this story about uh, Ehud and he was running for election in America, you wouldn't really be voting for him. I mean, war hero and all, but I mean, not really the guy that you want uh, to be representing you, the guy that you're modeling things after. (laughs) He's not the the glorious hero that we want to to emulate, that you want to tell your children about, right? You know, we tell stories about our heroes or past leaders or, um, you know, the, is, it, uh, is it George Washington who chopped down the cherry tree? Or is it used to several different people? George Washington, you know, chopped down the cherry tree. I cannot tell a lie. I was the one that did it, you know. Here's, here's an honorable, commendable leader and hero of our country who's, who's, you know, gained victory for us that we look to. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're painting a portrait of Ehud... I mean, what's it going to look like? Is his hair, like, smeared with excrement? Is his, you know, clothes are stained and he's holding up his left hand, this kind of jagged dagger that he's, uh, that he's made? I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to hang that in my house. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, it's really given us a, a different picture. I mean, sure, uh, he defeated the enemy, but, but how? I mean, how much are we impressed with him? In some ways, absolutely. But then, in other ways, I mean, he's not like David with Goliath. In David and Goliath, there's, there's the enemy of God's people calling out, uh, and, you know, calling down curses against, against their God and saying they can't do anything. And David uh, walks out boldly to face him uh, in battle for the name of the Lord, and God delivers him into his hands. Now, uh, you know, there's courage, there's bravery, there we see, you know, boldly, openly faced. Ehud's like the, the treacherous liar and sneak uh, who comes in hiding his, uh, hiding his weapon. I mean, he's an assassin. You know, he's not, he's not looked upon the same type of, of glory uh, in, in, in his uh, victory in this. I mean, the, the guy, though it's the king of the enemies that he killed, the dude's unarmed. Right? I mean, I mean, he's facing when he's unarmed and in possibly in a very vulnerable uh, position uh, here in the text, right? Um, and as much as, as the text is making a mockery of the fat cow king of Moab um, with the dung coming out and, and all of this, it doesn't exactly make Ehud look really impressive, does it? You're kind of going, oh. That's, do you really want to tell people how it all went down? Like, that's not, or at least his escape and, and everything else. There's, there's more that we would 
want to be looking for. Um, and not only how he did it, but what did he accomplish? It's pretty awesome what he accomplished. Eighty years of, of peace for Israel away from their enemies. That's, that's the rest of their life. Um, so a generation rising up, uh, knowing peace, not having anything else uh, going on. But <clears throat> is that all then what? After that, there needs to be someone else to, to rise up and deliver them. <clears throat> um, and then you even read in uh, chapter 4 what happens again. After, after him, the people of Israel again did what was evil <clears throat> in their sight. Um, impressive, but at best he's accomplished uh, a temporary and a physical victory, right? Uh, <clears throat> that's all he's given them, and after he's gone, where does it go? Is that, is that all? We're left going, isn't there something more that God's going to do for his people and this covenant promise that he's made? Uh, what are the people after this? Who will address their moral failure? Who will address their rebellion? Who will bring them back to the Lord? Will this cycle always continue? Is that really all? It draws us back to that question to say, is that all God's going to do? Is that all God will do for his people? The whole book of Judges, and this is the third point if you're following along in an outline or see us moving here. We've seen all that God did through Ehud, but this, that's all. Well, well, what all will God do? Looking at all of Scripture, what all will God do uh, for his people? Seeing the excitement and the disappointment, but ultimately we look to God's fulfillment of his promises. Uh, the whole book of Judges, the whole of Scripture encourages us to realize our longing for something more. <coughs> What will God do for his people? How great of a rescue will he give them? How great of a hero and a leader and a savior? And through the rest of scripture, what we see is the fulfillment of this longing, right? The fulfillment of the glory and the fullness of God's promise for all that he will do for his people, for all that he will do for us in the person of Jesus Christ and the greatest hero and leader that he sends uh, for his people. Uh, Jesus is that great hero and leader who faces the enemy fully, faces the enemy boldly and victoriously. Uh, in fact, taking out everything that's dished out against him uh, by his enemies. He faced all of Satan's temptations, uh, every trial, but still lived always obedient to the perfect good of, will of God without faltering in the least. Uh, fully obedient and innocent still he was rejected by his own, own people they cry out crucify him and the Roman authorities say put him to death execute him his own friends have left and deserted him and he's nailed to the Roman cross uh, in penalty and judgment and even condemned by the father himself bearing the weight of sin and all God's anger that's been kindled against it, enduring in himself uh, God's justice against wrong. But on the third day, rising from the dead, having victory over it all, having suffered it all, but risen uh, in conquering, <coughs> not covered with uh, sewage like Ehud, not covered with the stench of death, but raised in a new and glorious body in power and in strength, uh, ascending to God's uh, God's throne to rule over all the universe in his power. This is where our Lord is now. This is the glorious hero uh, beyond the portrait that we would see of Ehud, the one that we're ultimately longing for. And he provides much more than a temporary or only physical victory. And Jesus is raised no more to die, uh, but to rule in power forever. 
Death itself has been conquered. Uh, Satan himself has been defeated. His victory is a spiritual victory where your sin is conquered. All the, all the wrongs that you and I struggle with every day and that make, make you want to go, do I want to go to RUF this week and make me go, am I really able to preach this week? Do I have anything to say to students because I know the things that I've done wrong? They've been conquered. Jesus Christ has the power that has ended uh, the power of your sin. He has defeated it. He's ended the power of sin. In him you have no more reason for guilt to weigh you down. And I know it weighs you down just like it weighs me down because we know that we're all messed up. We know that there's plenty of things that God said that we haven't begun to do and things that we knew that God said don't do and here we are yet another time right back in the same place. But that guilt no more needs to weigh you down because God looks at those in Christ Jesus and says, not guilty, innocent, perfectly obedient is how I see you because Jesus Christ has conquered. He is your hero. He's your leader. He's your representative. And now that guilt has been wiped away and I look at you with love. I see you with perfect obedience in my eyes. This is the glory of the gospel for us. This is who God has raised up for us. Scripture says there's uh, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The full penalty of sin is taken away. And though maybe we feel ourselves continuing in that cycle of rebellion that we see in Judges, um, God no longer uh, is punishing us. That cycle is being changed uh, in the Israelites. God, there's nothing to drag you down, nothing left for you to earn. No other thing left. If I can just do these things, then God will look at me as obedient for him. It's all already been done for you in Jesus. He sees you as having as Christ having merited it all for you. And you have the fullness of his love and favor. And in Jesus, we get to bask in that. Uh, that's the glory of the gospel. That's what we believe. That's what we're excited to, to be here, to hear these truths tonight, to be able to talk with other people about it, not because we want to change them to fit with our religion or see these things. But there's, there's a God in the universe who says, you are messed up and I love you. And I embrace you and I take you to myself and I wipe all those things away. I will cover it for you. Bask in my love. I've done these things for you, and I will change you. If you're in Jesus, and the very Spirit of Christ is living in you, since power over you uh, is broken so that it does not control you, we continue uh, to struggle with it, but Christ's Spirit in us is changing us, making us constantly more and more uh, like Jesus, reminding us <coughs> of who he is, his worst to us, reversing the cycle of sin, leading us to obedience. Scripture says every blessing in the, in the heavenly places are now yours in Christ Jesus. All that he has to offer, his spirit being given to you, an inheritance of riches stored up, God's constant presence, his constant help and guidance in leading you. <coughs> Christ has given not only a spiritual victory, oh, but less rejoice and eternal victory. Uh, one that doesn't end, one that we're looking still for its fullness, but one which will never end. God promises more of what he will do in Jesus, that there's a day when Christ returns and all things will be made new and perfect. When every tear uh, that you've cried, and I've cried, and every tear that you will cry will be wiped away. And God will make all things right. All of your hurts, all of your sorrows, all of your angst and frustration I will be made right. And you'll be able to bask in the glory of God, knowing him and experiencing 
his love constantly uh, forever. And there'll be no more occasion where we'll ask, is that all? Because we'll, we'll never be finished opening the presence of God's love that he's bestowed on us. But we'll constantly be experiencing it, constantly be enjoying it. And Jesus will constantly know all that God will do. And all of our longings will be fulfilled without end and without end and without end to eternity. That's what we see of all that God will do for us. And when that's the teaching of Scripture for us, I want to tell you, keep asking the question. That's what Scripture claims. So keep asking the question. Is that all? Isn't there something more? Is that all that I'm going to get here? <clears throat> Ask it of the people that you look up to. Ask it of your, fr- of, of your uh, leaders, of your teachers, <clears throat> um, the people that you follow, your heroes, your role models. Ask it not only of people, but of every experience. Um, <clears throat> did I get all that I was longing for in this friendship? Did I get all that I was longing for in this movie, uh, in this party this weekend, uh, in this relationship, in this class, in this, uh, and, and whatever that we were doing? That all those things may be wonderful and you may be enjoying it uh, greatly. And yet, I think as you ask that question, what you'll find is that you still have a longing for something more. It's a great Christmas morning and you're still saying, is there anything else too? I'm still wanting to be fulfilled in a way that I'm not yet. And you'll find as you take that question and you look at God's promises to us in in his word that he is fulfilling those things for us. That God has placed those longings in you to lead you to Jesus. And God provides fulfillment for all those longings for us in Jesus. Jesus is our hero and our leader. And may the Lord lead us to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we confess ourselves in need of a leader. Um, Do we wish in so many ways that someone would direct our life and guide us a lot better? Um, We wish that the things that we did were better than the things that we actually do. And if you ask us today our hopes for tomorrow and then ask us tomorrow, we'll see our disappointment. Uh, Lord, we need someone to guide us in a better way. And Lord, we pray that the truth of your word would be true and that you would show it to be true for us. That we would realize that it is you that we are looking to lead us. That you would show us the glory of all your promises in Jesus and by your spirit give us the grace to believe it, to see its truth, to embrace it and to run to you. And would you lead us in following you by faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Got one more song that we're going to sing. Uh, There's a number of new people here, but look around afterwards. Greet the uh, greet folks that you don't know, people you haven't talked to in a while. Say hello, meet names and stuff. And uh, Jessica wants me to say that if you want to watch The Office. Um, we'll probably go to Mo's or something or somewhere, and then uh, we can watch the office over at Jessica's place later. But let's stand and we'll sing to the Lord. Well, I have your own good attention.